want to continue the study uh, this evening with you that we started a little bit in Psalms 127. If you weren't here, I'm not going to recap long, uh, but essentially this morning we, uh, I mentioned that the, the idea of these sermons came from some co- concepts around leadership. This morning we talked about Psalms 127 verses 1 through 2 about, Lest the Lord build the house, they labor in vain, which build it. And about doesn't matter how, you, how early you get up, how late you stay up, how much worrying you do, and, 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 and things like that. If the Lord doesn't build the house, we labor in vain. And, and thinking specifically about leadership, that if we don't let the Lord build the type of marriage that we have, that if He is not the identity, His kingdom is not the identity of who we are as a couple, um, then obviously our, our home will not stand in the, in the eternal sense that it ought to. And what I did this morning is more so a call to think about uh, for each and every couple and even as individuals in here, what have you given to the kingdom? What type of goals have you set? Have you accomplished those goals? What are you doing to work towards those goals? What are you giving to the kingdom? This evening, I want to I look at parenting from the same chapter, looking at the rest of uh, Psalms 127. And this is, not a, this is not a whip your baby sermon. This is... Not a day-to-day necessarily the way that you interact with your children, but what this is, a call to arms for everyone who is a parent right now, including myself. Uh, You know us, you know that we're definitely no experts in this fight, but it's something, um, as a parent, you're hitting new phases all the time until you're finally not. And we're hitting some more phases right now in our our life, in our parenting. But today is is a call to arms. It's a challenge to each and every person in here, whether you're a grandparent, especially if you're a parent or you will be a parent, to consider the work that you've done in your house in the name of the Lord as you raise your children. Let's start at Psalms 127. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain which do build it. And we use that verse oftentimes in doing what we did this morning. And maybe to a greater extent, not just talking about the identity of the home, but the makeup of the home and the spiritual qualities of the home in a marriage. And oftentimes that's where I leave this passage. I talk about the marriage. And I got to and be honest, you may not have been surprised, but just a little while back, I got to reading through it and I went, oh my goodness, he's not just talking about marriage in Psalms 127. And you know that because another common passage inside of this chapter is verse 3. He said, children are the heritage of the Lord and the fruit of the womb is a reward. And when I recognize that verse, because people are telling me that all the time about what, what a blessing children are. And aren't they? They're a blessing. And oftentimes, whenever people look at this chapter, they stop there at verse 3, and they talk about the blessing that children are. They are a blessing. God has given to us great gifts. And as I look back over my time and my children, I knew I always wanted kids, but I just didn't know how great some of it was going to be. I didn't know how wonderful it was going to be. I didn't know. I probably told you before what some of the first words, Tori's a pretty joyful kid when she was little, Miles, not so much, but they each gave good memories. But, you know, Tori, I I remember her sitting in the back seat on Wednesday nights. We had this little tradition. We'd stop by McDonald's and get fries and a Dr. Pepper, the elixir of life, and, you know, a fried potato. That's good. And I'd look back in the back seat, and Tori would have a tiny little hand around one of those little beautiful crispy fries, and, and I'd say, Tori, are you happy? And she'd say, happy, all she could say. I cherish those memories. In moments like that, I know what a blessing my children are from the Lord. Watching my children build relationships with some of their friends. 
and watching those relationships change as they grow. It's, it's a real joy watching that. Find fulfillment in other children of God. A couple years ago, I had the blessing of watching my daughter obey the gospel. I've got to be honest with you, there's a lot, of, a lot of baptisms that I've been able to be a part of in some way or another. And I love all those people, but there was something special about that moment. Precious blessings with my children. But that's not all this passage is about. He's talking about a mission. Remember, he's talking about building our house, our legacy upon the Lord. Not our legacy, but the Lord's legacy inside of our home. And these children are a blessing that we have in our life. And then he goes on, he talks about what Brother Mark mentioned in his prayers. He said, as arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They'll be not be ashamed, but they will speak with the enemies in the gate. Are you making arrows for the Lord? Because that's the question. You know, there's a, a statement I've thrown around pretty cavalierly sometimes, and you've probably used it or said it before too, and it's a, it's a statement born out of hope. It's a statement born out of joy that whenever we look around a congregation and we see all these little kids, that we say, our children are the future of the church. I'm going to tell you this. Sometimes our children are not the future of the church but the church should be their future. And what it boils down to is whether or not we're actually building arrows for the Lord, because that's what he's talking about. Not that we've just been given blessings of life, of marital relationships, and of children, but that it is a job that we're building something, and God has to build it with us. And here he said that, that our kids, these great blessings, they're like somebody making arrows. And I don't know, my brain might get a little bit carried away with making arrows. I haven't done a whole lot of arrow making, but I imagine this old-timey warrior sitting around a fire, not right up before the battle happens, but a long time before the battle happens, he starts making arrows. And he sits down, and he picks out the perfect pieces of flint, and maybe he's got his bone or, 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 or another sharper or stronger rock, and he sits out there trying, they call it napping, napping out an arrowhead. You ever seen a, a stone flint arrowhead? I feel like that's what most of the rocks are on the roads in Arkansas, just Flint Airheads, a lot of flat tires. Can you imagine how painstaking that is for those old warriors? And go to Walmart and get them a, you know, 100 grain three blade muzzy. If you deer hunt, you know what I'm talking about. But they sit there around those fires and they sit there and they chipped and chipped and chipped. Maybe they busted an airhead here and there and they started all over because there's no super glue. You're not gluing that back together. You start again. And you make it past that and you pick out the perfect shafts and you're not going to find any branch of nature probably just perfectly straight on its own. So you sit there and you work that shaft and then you, you fire cook that shaft. Not the same as a burger, but you're hardening that thing through the fire because you want it to last in battle. And then you fletch it and you have to fletch it just a certain way so that it has the right spin. And, and all these different details that this warrior puts into his air, I'll tell you what it takes. It takes time. It takes perfect intentionality. I was trying to say another one of those P words. Purposefulness. Trevor was teasing me about that earlier. I don't know what it is about P's today. Maybe my mouth's dry. Um, but it takes time and intentionality. Purposefulness. And I, I'll tell you, that's how a warrior makes arrows. You know why? Because whenever he goes to battle, he needs something that's going to find its mark. And there is too many times in 
in Christian or godly parenting, what we should be doing in godly parenting, that instead of sitting there crafting arrows, that whenever we reach into our scabbard, whenever they've reached the end of their time in our home, that we should be able to shoot them out of the world so that they can meet the mark that God has called them to do. We get to that end of that time and we reach to the quiver and we pull out balloons that don't fly straight and true. But they go up into the air and they go wherever they will. That's my great fear as a parent. And I know every other parent in here, you know that. And it's not about a scare factor this evening. It's about understanding that it takes time and purposefulness and intentionality to make arrows for the Lord. And the questions are, are we? There's a lot of horrible things that people have done with their kids through the years. You know, I, I sometimes hear people talk about something that happened to somebody's kid because of things that went on their, in, their, in their life. Maybe with a, a set of parents who were not instructed in the Lord and things turned out pretty horrible and they'll say it was a real tragedy. You know, and the Bible's full of real tragedies in the parenting department. But the one that really comes to my mind, remember this morning I said I like to deal in extremes. The one that comes to my mind in the scriptures was those people who, who worshipped a certain God of the Old Testament. You know, there was only a handful of gods that whenever God sent his people, the Israelites, out of Egypt and into the land of Canaan, he told them by name, you shall not worship this God. You remember that in Leviticus? One of those was Molech. Leviticus 18 verse 21 God said, you will not let any of your seed pass through the fire of Molech, neither shalt thou profane the name of thy God. I am the Lord. He's pretty specific here. How many false gods were there during that time? I don't know. I don't know. I know a few things about Molech. I know that Molech was not just a Canaanite god, but he was somebody who was worshipped through uh, by uh, various peoples throughout time. He was worshipped by a lot of the, the Ite people in the land of Canaan. Some of the Philistines would worship him, the uh, Amalekites, Amalekites, however you want to say that, and their kinsmen, a lot of them worshipped this, this Molech. You had some of the kings of Judah who would eventually, including Solomon and Manasseh and Ahaz, that they would build temples to and worship this Molech. There were tribes that would come after them. There were tribes before the Canaanites who would worship this Molech. The best I can find a description on him is that he was you know, had the head of, of some type of bovine creature, uh, some type of bull head, and then some of the attributes of a human, the rest of his body. And he's worshipped by a number of different people in a number of different ways, but every single one of the ways that he was, that he was sacrificed to normally always included some, 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 form of infant, some form of infanticide. That's what I think about when I think about tragedy happening in parenting. And I look at the, at the Bible, I... Can you imagine God's people, people pulled out of captivity? They look to one of these pagan gods and they say, we're going to be like these other people. We're going to burn our babies. You know, some form includes things like this. There was some of them that I don't know if it's merciful, but they would kill the child and then they'd burn them in fire. Is that merciful? I don't know. I hate to be burned alive because the rest of them sound even worse. Some of them, they'd have them pass through flames of fire, just throw them into a fire, kind of like what almost happened to Shadrach, or what did happen to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but they got, you know, saved by the fourth man in the fire. 
but that they'd sacrifice their children to God through that. You know, the worst way in my, in my mind, I don't know, they're all horrible, so don't get me wrong. I ain't putting these on tiers of righteousness and unrighteousness, but the one that just really turns my stomach was where, where they'd get a statue of this Molech as their altar, and they'd have metal hands, large metal hands, and they'd build bonfires under those hands, and they'd, they'd heat those hands up to the point that they were uh, exceptionally hot, and they would take their live infant children, and they'd lay them on those burning hot hands. And then they would pipe, they would pipe these uh, flutes, and they would bang on their drums to drown out the cries and the screams of that burning infant. And they would make the mothers, these mothers, to stand by the side, and, and they had to stand there tearlessly as their babies burnt to death, as if to signify that they were willingly offering them to this God, Molech. And I think, how awful is that? What a tragedy. What a waste. How could you do that? How could you sacrifice your child to a God? And then I read stories about Abraham. I read stories about Abraham where God, you remember the story that God called Abraham and he said, Abraham, I want you to take your son and I want you to sacrifice him. You remember that whole story? They rise up early in the morning. He grabs his son, uh, his son Isaac and he rolls on up the mountain. Isaac even asks a question. Hey, father, where's the, where's the ram for our sacrifice? And, and Abraham says the Lord will provide a sacrifice. You remember that? They build the altar. The son helps, from what I could tell, the son helps him build the altar. He lays him down on there. He raises the hand. Hebrews 11 gives us an account of that. Hebrews 11, 17 through 19. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tried, he offered up Isaac. And neither to receive the promises, offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, according to God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received in him a figure. And here again, we have another individual in the Bible who's willing and ready to offer up their child to a God. Now, I'd say there's some differences in this, and I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that, but I'll tell you one of the differences is this. Is he wasn't blindly offering his son to some random God made with hands, but what he had done is received some promises and he had faith, like it says here, that God would raise him up from the dead. He, he didn't think this was going to be a forever kind of death. He said, look, if God really wants me to do this, he promised me this child and he'll bring this child back. There's some differences there. Still, how do you do it? How do you sacrifice your child to God like this? Because he had a dagger in his hand, you remember? And the Lord stayed his hand. He said, it's by faith. We read about that all through Hebrews 11. We talked about this morning. By faith, by faith, by faith. By faith, Sarah and Abraham, they went wherever they were told to go. Sojourning, living in tents, gave up, gave up the comforts of life, right? And again, it was by faith he was willing to sacrifice his child. By faith, Abraham, he was willing to understand that the promises of God were sure. That's why he was willing to do it. Because he really believed God. When God said, if you will do it my way, you'll get promises. You get the these promises will come to fruition. It'll happen for you, but you've got to do it my way. The reason he was willing to follow God to the letter, even in the sacrificing of his child, Excuse, he believed the word of God. Could you sacrifice your child to God? Could you raise the knife? 
You know, the good thing is, is that what God was doing here is he was just, like we mentioned this morning, giving Abraham a glimpse into the future. It was a type here. He's going to Abraham. He's testing him, right? Says he tried him. You showed faith in me. You were willing to sacrifice your child. And then what he said, he received in him a figure. He knew Christ was coming. He knew the promises were great. And he knew that God would keep them. He was willing to sacrifice because of faith and promises, folks. Who will you sacrifice your children to? I think that's the real question we've got to ask ourselves this morning because I can look all day long at stories like Molech and think about how awful that is and how could anyone in the world sacrifice that ch- their, their child to some fake God made with the hands of man. And I can look at Abraham's story and I can say, well, but he didn't actually do it and God wouldn't make us do it. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But I want you to think about it tonight. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're not taking your baby and laying them on a molten halt altar made with hands of a bull man God. One way or the other, you're going to sacrifice your child to a God. The question is, will it be a God of this world? A God of your own making? A God of your own pursuit? Or will it be the God of all creation? Because that's what God's asked for from all of his people. He hadn't asked for you, like Abraham, to be tested and taking up your child and lay them on an altar that you've built by hands with wood, hold up a dagger and stick it in them. You know what he wants from you and I? He wants arrows. He wants something that's alive and active and working and fighting in his army. Romans 12, he puts it this way for all of his people. I beg you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you might present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable to God. It's your reasonable service. You know, that's what he's called for our Christians. And I believe that's the sacrifice he's called for us to give to him with our children. Will we give it to him? I won't, I won't, let's be real honest with ourselves tonight. The gods that we sacrifice our children to, the gods that we push our children to, they don't look like Molech more often than not, but they look like what we've created in our mind that's most important. You know what our children don't pursue in life, especially when they're kids? They don't pursue the gods of their making. They pursue the gods of their parents, the education gods, the sports gods, the recreation gods. What's your God today? What have you given your life to? What are you pushing and pulling and, and, and shoving your children to in this life that isn't the God of eternity? That's a question i got to ask myself every day, and you've got to ask yourself, what is it I'm putting in front of my child that says to them, this is the God of my father and mother? You know, one of the, claim, one of the calls that David made to Solomon before he sent his son out, he said, Solomon, he said, know thou the God of thy father, that you will serve him with a perfect heart and a willing mind, right? Seek him, he'll be found in thee, but if you, if you forget him, he'll cast thee off forever. You think about that, what David said, I want you to know thou the God of thy father, If God really is our God, then we're going to teach that God to our children and we drive them to that God with the pursuits that we push them in in life. But if he's not really our God, our children will know. Because the God they'll end up serving is the gods that we gave them to. Who are you sacrificing your kids to? Where will they be in the kingdom someday? As I think about leadership and I think about raising kids and the qualifications of that, 
I think, what a small window that is. You know, because the qualifications of, of an elder and a deacon isn't based on what happens with our kids after they get out of the home, but they're how we led our children while they were in our home. And I think there's reasons behind that. Because while we have our children or while they're young, we can show them who the real, true, and living God is with the intentionality of our parenting, with God's help. And I believe we can do it from an early age, but we have to be intentional because children are impressionable. You know, the Babylonians knew that. The Babylonians, Babylonians, they may have been a little crazy, but I don't know. Crazy things happened back then. Babylonians, they knew that children were impressionable. You remember the story of Daniel, right? Think about this here. Daniel chapter 1, starting at verse 3, he says, The king spoke to Ashpenaz and the master of the eunuchs that he would bring certain of the children of Israel, the king's seed and princes, and children who was there, were, there was no blemish. They were well favored, skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge, understanding science, such as had ability in them to stand before the king's palace. And notice what he says here. And whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. Verse 6 says, Now among them was the children of Judah. Daniel, Hananiah, Meshel, and Azariah, also more commonly known as by their uh, Chaldean names, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego later on. But I want you to think about what was going on here. These enslaved people, because the Hebrews were at the time enslaved, and the king looks out at these people and he says, here's what I want to do. I don't want to just have an enslaved people. I want an indoctrinated people. I want to incorporate them in to make my nation stronger, but I don't want to incorporate them based on what they believe and what they think and what, what they have practiced religiously, spiritually, and in knowledge, but I want it all based on us. So what I want you to do is go out there and get children. Now, a lot of people look into verse 3 and they see where it says children of Israel and say, look, this wasn't really children. I hear that argument sometimes. Children of Israel means just like when we're reading other places. It just means they were people out of the tribes of Israel. Okay, I'll grant you that in verse 3. But in verse 4, you know what he's talking about? Kids. He's talking about kids. Can't tell you what age they are, though. You got me there. When you say, well, Brother Lee, how old are they exactly? I don't know. I don't know how old they were. You got me. But what I do know is this, they were young enough that that king said they're impressionable because he brought these kids specifically so that he could teach them the learning or the ways of and the language of the Chaldeans. He wanted to indoctrinate them. The world wants impressionable minds. You believe that and I believe that, don't you? They want the impressionable minds of our children. You know why they're pushing so many things in the public school system from very early ages? Do you know why there is, why there's curriculums like the gender-bred man, things like that, that are going nationwide, indoctrinating our children in all types of worldly things? Why? Because our kids are impressionable. That's why. You know why they don't want you at your PTA meetings and they don't want parent-teacher conferences? Why they don't want mamas in the classroom or daddies in the classroom anymore? Because they don't want you getting in the way of their agendas. You know it's true. Does it mean we can't raise godly children in an ungodly world? Mm -mm. I think we can. I know we can. And in fact, I think they're a testimony to it right here because I believe that if we are intentional from a very early age, we're going to get the results that was gotten with these four young men right here. Because as impressionable as they were, as, as, as that king knew that age group was, whenever the time came that they tried to force the Chaldean ways down their throat, these young men said, I'm not going to do it. In, in verse, verse 8, it says, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That's a kid. 
That's an impressionable aged kid saying, I won't do it. And the act was eating the type of meats that was prohibited by the God of all creation, the God of Israel, Jacob, and Isaac, right? And he said, I'm not going to do that. And he stuck to it. And you know what? The Lord blessed him for that. Where does that come from? That came from his folks. That's where it comes from. It comes from people with faith like Abraham. It comes, with people, com- comes from people with faith like Eunice and Lois. People who have this great, intense fervor to serve the Lord because they trust his word and they believe his promises and they have goals and they look at that little life and that little soul they have and they intensely and intentionally parent that child so that they're capable of great things. Our kids are capable of incredible things. But we have to have the standards of God. Are they going to be perfect? No. I mean, no. It's just not going to happen. He told us it's not going to happen. Foolishness bound up in the heart of the child, right? But you know what? Intentional parenting, I believe it yields these type of results. Not just because I believe that. I think we see that in the scriptures. But I think that there's a time frame for it. I've been making a big deal about this age. And, and again, I can't tell you what age they were. But, but I got another verse here. I want you to just mull over in your minds. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 18. Again, it's not a whooping verse. Don't get caught up in the chastening. Chasten thy son where there is hope. And let not thy soul spare for his crying. I said not a whooping verse. It's not a whooping lesson tonight, you know. So what I want to focus in on that is that word hope there. You know, a lot of times when I think about hope, I think about movie scenes where the hero's about to die and the enemy troops are closing in, but they have a glimmer of hope that somebody might come save them, you know? And that's not the type of hope he's talking about there. That word, when you look at it by definition, is more like a piece of rope or a cord, attachment. He's given us a time frame there. Does he give us a, this is all between ages, you know, zero and 15? No, again, he doesn't give us a specific age. But what he talks about is there is a time in our children's life where they are more attached to us. And there's going to come a period in their life where the attachment is gone. And then he says, chastening won't happen. It, It won't help. So he says, I want during this time frame, while they're more connected to you, that's the time where we chasten them. What age is that? I'm, gonna, I'm not going to buy numbers on you tonight because I ain't got them. I got opinions. It's not the place for it. But I'm just presenting information for me and for you. So what age? What age do we start intentionally training our children, building our house upon the Lord, crafting our little arrows for the fight of the Lord? I'll tell you about another intentional parent. Don't read a whole lot about Daniel's folks in there, but obviously they did a lot of work. Abraham was intentional with the things he did. But we want to talk about a couple there in Samuel. Of course, in Samuel, you know we're talking about Samuel's folks. Hannah. Hannah couldn't have a baby. She's married to Elkanah, not his only wife. His other wife's able to have children. But there sits Hannah in misery. She's mocked by her counterpart inside of that relationship that she can't have children. She prays fervently to the Lord for babies. And I'm sure there's plenty in this room and and around who know what that battle is like, who struggle to have a child and they want desperately to have one. Well, this woman's in that boat for a long time that said the Lord had shut up her womb, but she prays for a child. And and I believe the way that she goes about it is pretty incredible. The way, the whole process of praying for this child, getting this child and what she does afterwards. But let's go through a little piece of that story. In uh, chapter, uh, chapter 1, verse 11 of 1 Samuel 1, said she vowed a vow and she said oh lord a host if you'll indeed look 
on the affliction of thine handmaiden, remember me and not forget your handmaiden, but will give unto thine handmaiden a man-child. I'll give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and there'll be no razor come upon his head. Uh, the last part of this vow is, is uh, it's talking about a vow that a number of different men throughout the scriptures took. Where they didn't cut their hair, but they dedicated themselves to the mission work of the Lord. John the Baptist would have been another one of these fellows. I think, you know, some others did it at other times. Vow the Nazarite. But notice the promise that she makes. She makes a promise that if you'll just give me a child, I'll give him to you all the days of his life. Not all the days of his adult life. Not all the days after I'm done with him. I'll give him to you all the days of his life. Now I want you to think about what that promise entails in here. What does it mean to you if you gave a promise to God? I'll give him to him all the days of his life. Where does that start? Day one, day two, day three? I don't know. I think it started early with them. I think the scriptures bears that out. Because here's what happened. God looks down at this woman. He looks at the promise that she made. And miraculously and lovingly, he gives her this baby. And she's made the promise already. God makes good on his side of things. And so then they look at those goals. You'll notice there's some similarities in, in uh, this morning's this evening. Talk about goals and achieving them and things like that. My, my brain was the same place on both of them, you know. Uh, but in, in verse 22 says, Hannah went not up. She'd already got this baby, right? Hannah, or her husband... Uh, Elkanah, he's going up to offer sacrifices, going to the temple. Said, she's, I, she said, I'm not going to go up to her husband. I won't go up until the child be weaned, and then I'll bring him. That he may appear before the Lord, and there abide forever. That was her ultimate goal. She wanted a baby so bad to love on that baby, to experience the blessings of having just, just one arrow, just one arrow in the quiver. And yet she was willing to give that arrow right back to God? She just got him. Why? Because her promise was to give him to the Lord all the days of his life. And that's what she wanted him. I want him to abide with the Lord forever. We got to set goals. We set a lot of goals, folks, for our kids. We start out very early. We want them to have such and such careers and such and such educations and such and such relationships and, and such and such houses and all these things. I don't know what all it is you want for your kid. We got a lot of desires. I ain't saying some of those desires and goals ain't good, but what are your spiritual goals for your child? What are my spiritual goals? Is this at the top of the list? Because I need something to look at all the time to keep me on track, to remind me, oh, I'm getting off track over here because this is where I want them to go. And if I want them to go there, then I need to do this. But when I get off track, it's because oftentimes I'm not looking at the goal. We need a goal with our children. Here she had one. She had a promise. She had made a promise to God. And she said, I'm going to keep it, so I'm going to set a goal. And here it was. You notice what also happened here. Her husband starts talking. After what she had said, she made this promise. I'm not going to go up till the child be winged. Then I'll bring him up, bring him to the house of the Lord. And so Elkanah answers him and he said, you do what seems good to you this time, but you need to make good on your promise. When you've weaned him, tarry only until you've weaned him. And then you bring him up. Only establish his word. The Lord establishes word. You can look at that at a couple different um, variations and forms, different versions of the Bible. The best way that I can come to understand this passage myself, and, and you may have a different understanding of it, is the idea that the child needed to be established in the Lord's word. Because 
The Lord hadn't given any word on this as of this. He had granted a child, but she's the one who had given her word. So he's talking about you wean him, and during that time, you're establishing in the word of God. You know what this typically took back then? Three to four years. Lord, please give me a baby. I want an arrow in the quiver. When you give him to me, I'm going to treasure him so much. But from the moment I have him, I'm going to give him right back to you. From the time he was born, Elkanah and, and Hannah, they were focused on keeping that promise to God. Crafting and creating an arrow for the Lord. And I believe that they did that. It, I, there's an incredible story here. I look at this and I feel pretty small, folks. And don't get me wrong, I'm not talking about them. My kids, I love them and I appreciate so much about them. But when the time she weaned him, and after she'd made a plan to keep that promise, to train him and to establish him in the word of the Lord, she kept that promise. And when she was weaned, she took him up with her to the altar, took him before Eli with some of the sacrifices, and she said there in verse 28 of chapter 1, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. She gave him right back. You gave him to me, but I'm giving him right back. And this little bitty boy who had just been weaned, who had been established just for a couple of years as a little bitty boy in God's Word, you know what he did? And he worshiped the Lord there. I want to tell you something. Our little eras, our little eras, they can learn a whole lot in a whole, a little, very little small amount of time. My time is slipping away. I'm watching my time just fly right out the window and none of you older parents are giving me any hope. You're not giving me no hope earlier, David. No, David gave me some tips earlier, but he reminded me of that. The time's just running out. I'll tell you what, four years has come and gone for both of my children. What will they be when I'm done with them? Dedicated people to God's word, people who built their house on the Lord, they have not on their own, but following the instruction and with faith, instruction of God and with faith in his word that he will do what he said he will do, they have created some incredible children who did some wonderful things in the kingdom. You think about the impact of the people that we've talked about this morning. These children who were sacrificed to God. Isaac, a father of a nation. The beginning of the promises that affect you and I today. Raised by Abraham. A man willing to sacrifice his children to God. Daniel. Daniel plucked out of his home at a very young age with a couple of his buddies and a whole bunch of others. Ready to be indoctrinated by all these other all these heathens that had pulled them out of the land. And he's able to stand there, stand there probably knowing full well, even at a young age, the realities of what could happen if they resist and standing up for what was right. Hannah and Elkanah, who couldn't have the baby, but said, oh, I'll take him and I'll treasure him, but I'll give him right back. That is intense, intentional parenting. That's people letting the Lord build their house. And I think that's a challenge to you and I. You're not going to be the perfect parent. I'm not going to be the perfect parent. But we can have lofty goals because we have a lofty, a lofty God who has asked a lofty job from us and from our children. They're ambassadors of the world with his gospel. They're the carriers of the fight to this world. They're arrows in this battle. 
And it's upon your and my shoulders that we make effective, effective elders. I ain't going to take up too much more of your time this evening. May I share a verse with you that you may have known for a long time, but has really pricked me right in my heart as a parent. We're looking around through Deuteronomy, the retelling of the law. And you, you remember that one of the things going on in Deuteronomy and over and over is that Moses gathered all the people of Israel he gathered all the children, he gathered all the strangers, he gathered all of the, the parents and the kids, everybody all together. And he'd read that dry old law, 613 laws and all the details with them. They didn't just do it once, they did it a handful of times, didn't they? I don't know how many times they did it, I probably need to go find out. But one of these times, they're in chapter 32, he just got done rereading this law, and he says this in, in Deuteronomy 32, verse 45, he said, I want you to set your hearts to all of these words which I testify among you this day. He said, lay it on your heart. Have faith, folks. And then something very similar that he says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, he says, which you shall command your children to observe to do all of the words of this law. Not present them with options. Not just let them decide for their own selves. He said, this is God's law. And with God's law, you need to make sure you believe it with all you got. That's laying it on your heart, right? Deuteronomy 6, it's, you know, let it be a frontlet between your eyes and doorposts on your kingdom. Signet around your shoulders. Let it be what leads you and guides you, the thing that you have faith in. And then he said, you command your children not to just know it, not to just memorize verses, not to be able to tell us what all the little highlight stories are of the Bible, but you command them to do this law. I, I find out myself, like a lot of you as you enter this parenting thing, I don't care how little and impressionable these little, these little people are, it's hard to make people do things. You know what it takes? Intense, intentional parenting. Over and over and over. Living it in your life, having it in your heart, and teaching it over and over and over. That's why I said as you walk by the way and all these things like that. This verse isn't new to you. It was the next verse that really got me, pricked me. I'd never seen it before somehow. Probably read it, skipped right over it. He goes on, he says this, verse 47, for it is not a vain thing for you. What's the most worthwhile thing to teach your children? You understand what he's talking about when he says vain. Vain means empty and worthless. How many worthless and empty things do we put into our children's lives that are, are swallowing the precious time that we have to train them to be soldiers in the army of God? What's swallowing that time? What's stealing it from them, from us? We need to figure out what the most worthwhile thing is and give it to them. And he said, this, commanding our children to observe the law, he said, it's not empty. It's not, it's not worthless. It's worth your time. And then he goes on, he said something, and this is where it's at, folks, because it is your life. I get tired sometimes, even, even not being a great parent. I get tired sometimes. You know what I mean? Between all the crying, trying to 
stuff out, all the back talking, a number of other little things that kind of get on your nerves. Some of the things that get after me, you know, I, I, as adults, <laughs> we hold like this massive standard, like, like we identify a problem and then we just quit it just like that, you know. We act like that's the way it is with adults. But when it's ever with our children, we teach them, we teach them, we teach them. And you know what you say as a parent sometimes? When are you going to get this? <laughs> I'll be ready for you to understand this concept. And we get tired and we get frustrated of, of doing the right thing over and over. If we're doing it over and over and we get worn out and we go, when are they going to get this? When is it going to get easier? And I want this to get easier. And, and I'll be honest, parents go looking for the, the path of least resistance to raising their children. That's the easiest way to go for a parent. And I want to tell you, it's the most prevalent path that is taught in the world today. And I, I'm firmly convicted of that. And we want it to be easy. But the truth is, whenever we signed on and we prayed our prayers with our spouse and we said, dear Lord, I want an arrow in my quiver. We made a promise. As Christians, we made a promise. You made a promise that you were going to give your life. When we have children, it is our life. Not ball camp. Not master's degrees. I'm not saying there's anything necessarily inherently evil about those things, but our life is, is teaching them to observe the commandments of God. And the window is this short. I'm a balding middle-aged man already. Didn't think the day would ever come. But here it is, it came. There's men whose life is, is slowly setting and dimming who they never thought it would come and it's, it's getting their life is short. Time is valuable and we need to redeem it, especially when we've made our promises to the Lord. We need to set goals and we need to make a plan and we need to be on the same, pa same page with our spouse. I want to encourage you, all of you parents out there, like, like you need to encourage me. We got a problem, young folks. And I'll tell you what one of our biggest problems is, is that we're just not using what the good Lord gave us. And I'll tell you one of the biggest blessings he gave us is not just a cloud of witnesses like we see in Hebrews 11, but he gave us Titus 2, men and women. Older men and women in the church, and I'm not being derogatory, but these people who by wisdom and age and reason and use in God's scriptures have fought this battle, who have dedicated their life to raising kids, and the proof is in their children, their grown children, the ones who are dedicated, the ones who are now the, the ones addicted to the ministry and their elders and their deacons and their servants in the kingdoms. You look around you. Get out of the books that other men have written and you get into the lives of these people who have lived the life. The ones who are sitting in these pews, who you've seen the results that God has given. And you ask them real questions. You ask them real questions. Ask them questions about what did you do to get this? All right, let's get more specific. Whenever they tell you, oh, I don't know, I had pretty good kids. You know, you're doing a good job. Don't, don't settle for that. It's real easy. I'll tell you what, it is very, understand this. And this is, I'm only starting to begin to understand this. It is a very scary thing to tell a parent 
how to parent their kids. Because every parent in the world goes, oh my goodness, I just don't know how to do this. And, and then somebody tries to tell us how to raise our kids, and we go, who are you? Scary. That's why all these aged parents, experienced ones are going, oh, it's, you're doing good. <laughs> they're scared of you. Hey, look, they're, they're a gift. They're a gift because you know what? At every phase in life that our children face, you know what you're going to do? You're going to go, what do I do now? Don't turn to the books and the wisdom of the world. There's a lot of garbage out there to get you off track real quick. Sounds easy, past least resistance. You know what? Go to the people who fought the fight. Go to the Eunices. Go to the Loises. Go to the Abrahams. Go to the, go to the Hannahs and the Elkanahs and your congregation and others. And you sit there, you don't take, I don't know for an answer, but you go, please, I need to know. How'd you get this? I see this in your child. How did you get there? What scriptures did you use? What did that mean to you? What techniques? What do I need to do? And then do something different than that. Go, go a step beyond that. It's real easy to hear what somebody else did. You know what's even harder? What's harder for me is to go, hey, because you look into my life and in my parenting and my kids and and do you see something I could change? You know what they're going to do again? Oh, you're doing good. <laughs> you know what? Prepare yourself and don't settle for that again and say, no, really. No, really. I want to know. You know what? One of these days, one of these days you're going to be sitting in one of those living rooms having that conversation, asking that question, and somebody is finally going to get the courage because you've persisted and they're going to say, you know that thing that you didn't do 15 minutes ago when your kid did this, this needs to change. You know what you're going to do? And it's going to shock you. And it won't get any less shocking every time, even though we know we're not perfect and even though we're struggling to keep our head above water and we're struggling to make sure that we're purposing, uh, purposefully and intentionally, intentionally parenting, it will shock us, but it will help you and it will change your life. And you know what I think it does in the long run? It brings peace. You know what I see in a lot of homes? I don't see the status quo. I don't see the status quo in every single home in the church where people go, just wait for the teenage years. It's going to be awful. You know what I've seen? In some homes, I've seen peace. And I don't think those parents got lucky. I don't think they had the best-natured kids that anybody's ever been blessed to have. You know what I think they had? A God with great answers and goals and follow-through. In Hebrews, when he's talking about chastisement, he said, no chastisement at the present seems to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, in the end, it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness on them on which it's exercised thereby. You know what I believe? I believe parenting is hard and it wears you out. And to be consistent and to teach and to dedicate our life like God really wants us to is going to flat take everything that we have got. And then some of what somebody else has got. But you know what I think too? Man, it doesn't matter what I think. You know what God says? He'll give us peace in our homes. That's a promise. That's a promise from a great God. The question is not whether or not God's ways works. The questions are not whether or not God can make arrows. The questions are not whether God can make leaders and continue congregations and help our children to get through this life. The question is, will we make arrows? 
And I challenge each and every one in here who's got kids, who's had kids, who may have kids one of these days. Let's get in the book. Let's see what these arrows really need to be. So I'll tell you what, someday this older generation isn't going to be here. The elders will be gone. The evangelists will be gone. The deacons will be gone. Their wives will be gone. The laborers will be gone. The, the potluck roast cookers are going to be gone. The visitors in the hospitals, they're going to be gone. The ones that you have right here, right now, they're going to be gone at some point. I'm not being morbid. That is life. That's why it is better to be in the house of mourning than the house of feasting. To help remind us that this thing doesn't replenish itself on its own. That it is a process. That it's about sitting by the fire of the Lord with his book open and going, what's it going to take to make a sharp instrument? What's it going to take? What do my children need to be effective communicators? What do they need in their heart to overcome their struggles? What do they need in their, in their, in their mouth and their voice to be able to reach out and to convince the gainsayer and bring their friends in? What do they need? They need you. To build arrows for the Lord. They need me to do the same thing. God bless you in that. I'm praying for you. And I beg for you to pray for me too. I pray for all of you who are the tightest two men and women in here. That you will boldly insert yourself into the life of us young folks. And that you will be bold with us. And you'll tell us the things that are being priest bring peace to our homes. They'll bring warriors into the future and a leadership in the church. If you need encouragement tonight with any part of this process or something else you're struggling with, why don't you come forward tonight or see us, any of the leaders of the congregation or, or myself after the service is over. Just come. Get the help you need. Let's encourage one another while we stand and sing this last song.